0: What's up everyone? This is Must Go Faster, a pop culture podcast for the people. I'm your co-host Ben Brantlinger broadcasting from Brooklyn. And out in Long Beach, California,
1: wearing a set of screenslaver goggles, I'm Robert Denfeld. So in
0: this episode, we're going to recommend two new crime, two new crime documentary series on Netflix, uh, yeah. The Staircase and Evil Genius. We are going to uh, reveal our infinity for AirPods. Yes. We are going to talk about sports a little bit. Oh, curveball there. Love it. And um, But first, Rob is going to review Incredibles 2, and we are going to proceed to give you our personal top five Pixar movies. Yes. Rob, do you want to kick things off with... uh, I have not seen Incredibles 2, but you you just saw it. I know you wanted to... uh, to give a quick little review, um, yeah. what, were your, what were your thoughts on that? Superheroes are illegal. We want to fight bad guys. I hate bad guys. It defines who I am. We're not saying you have. What? Someone on TV said it. I was approached by this tycoon. wants to talk about hero stuff. Help me bring supers back into the sunlight. We need Elastigirl. Bye, sweetie.
1: I'll watch the kids, no problem. Well, so this was obviously a big release this past weekend. Uh, Well, when this episode comes out, it may be two weeks from now, but uh, we're recording this a little in advance. And Mm -hmm. so Incredibles 2, written and directed by Brad Bird, it is the 20th Pixar release to date. So it seemed like an appropriate time to do our top five list. So we're going to get to that after this uh, review and recommendation of Incredibles 2. Um, this movie came out on June fifteenth. Um, it's been received very fondly by critics and users on Rotten Tomatoes. It's ninety four percent critics, eighty eight percent users. Um, it's just over two hours long. It's another, you know, action-packed animated movie, just like The Incredibles, which mm-hmm. came out 14 years ago in 2004, which wow. is pretty incredible. Also directed by Brad Bird. Um, he's also He also did uh, The Iron Giant, mm. uh, a, a drawn um, animated movie in 1999. And then he did Ratatouille for Pixar in 2007. Uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which is live action, obviously. One of my favorite, maybe my favorite Mission Mission Impossible movies. So that's really impressive that he can cross over like that. He also uh, directed Tomorrowland in 2015. So that's pretty much his directing uh, career. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wrote and directed this movie. It made $183 million opening weekend uh, domestically. And that is an all time record for an animated film. So that's uh, really, you know, a huge success for Pixar, Disney, uh, like they needed it. But uh, it's cool to see like a new record being broken. And um, yeah, so this movie, just getting to like the the meat of it, I won't really spoil anything since you haven't seen it yet. And some of our listeners may not have seen it yet. But it's another fun Pixar release, uh, really successful, I would say. Uh, lives up to the first movie. I think I enjoyed the first movie a little bit more, but this one, um, for certain reasons, I would say, but this one really, you know, lived up to the the title and uh, is perfectly, you know, honors the the original and is a solid sequel. Mm -hmm. The main villain in this movie is a a character called Screenslaver, which I made mention of in my little goggle that was your nickname uh, growing up right yeah screen slaver <laughs> uh yeah so that's like the main villain in this movie puts goggles on people and controls their thoughts and uh broadcasts uh these little like encoded messages over tv kind of similar to v for vendetta the way he like infiltrated the mass media and and you know showed his messages to the public um And yeah, so this this movie has some amazing big action sequences, uh, probably bigger and grander than the original. But I just thought the way like the family drama played out and and, uh, you know, just the movie overall and the tone and everything. I I liked the original a little more, but this one's really good, too. Um, Jack Jack obviously is back and. This movie picks up like three or four days after the original ended. So they're still kind of dealing. I don't know if the last time you saw that, but they're dealing with the repercussions of like the city, you know, city being destroyed as they're trying to uh, handle. Um, what's his name? The the villain in the first one uh, syndrome. So it <laughs> picks up right after that battle. And we see a little bit of the Underminers, which is hinted at in the, the first, the end of the first movie. This movie, I think it became a little bit predictable at times. And you kind of knew where they were going with the villain plot uh, early on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, (laughs) I I was thinking that during the movie as I was watching it. And then I I heard like this five-year-old or four-year-old girl behind me asking her mom about the plot. And I was like, oh, yeah. This movie is made for kids, you <laughs> know. Like, stop, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. stop trying to like you're analyze to, like, this analyze on an Oscar it like it level, was eyes yeah. wide shut. Or something, <laughs> right, and you're right. Like,
0: oh wait, yeah, it's uh, I'm seeing Incredibles too. Yeah, don't forget I, the I, target I audience. Mention, right, right. You, you did. Uh, I don't think it was in your top five movie, mom, but maybe honorable mention: the mom in Incredibles.
1: Yeah, no, I think she was Elastigirl, played by Holly Hunter. I think she was my number three or four yeah, in yeah. from the original. Yeah, so a great. Uh, maternal character yeah i'm glad you mentioned that
0: and i heard the action scenes as you kind of said are pretty like complex and they something are that could very easily translate into like a live action you know totally I mean, guy has done an Imp- mission impossible movie like he knows how to direct action so yeah. it's cool to apply that to the animation world
1: totally and the first one had that as well and um i think it's just the way they're constructed and edited um and obviously you can like really control that in animated, you know, medium. But um, I just think they're really like coherent uh, action sequences and you can follow what's going on with the characters and who's who and, you know, things aren't blowing up for no reason. It's yeah. So they're really easy to follow and good for kids, obviously. Um, it's it, it's nice to see a movie with kids in the theater like it, it doesn't happen often these days, like the types of movies that we're seeing regularly are not necessarily, quote unquote, kids movies. So you know, it kind of took me a second to remember that it's going to be a little rowdy, more rowdy audience and, Mm -hmm. you know, a little more noise and lively action going on some babies crying, but it kind of adds to the experience. And it's, it's nice to hear like kids react to the comedy and the like get scared and stuff at times. So that was cool. I actually, I wanted to a little anecdote from my experience. Um, I was walking into the theater and I was waiting for Natalie outside the bathroom. And I saw this mom and, and dad with their little girl walking into the theater. And, and the girl was like, you guys seem really excited. And the mom goes, yeah, daddy and I have been waiting for this movie for 14 years. And it's really <laughs> cool that we can bring you to it. So it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. just a, kind of like a heart heartfelt touching moment just going in. And,
0: and it, yeah, it gets to like, you know, part of the magic of Pixar is that, They've mastered the, you know, making a type of animated movie that appeals as much to kids as it does adults, and mm-hmm. that's like a huge part of why they've been successful. Which I totally. Know. Well, I'm sure we'll get into as we go through our top five, but yeah, yeah.
1: Well, and and it also drove home the point that these movies have been coming out since 1995 now, so over 20 years, and it's it's crossing to that next generation, and and you know our generation is still in love with them because we grew up with them. So it's cool when that that really like hits home and you see it in person. Um, I will say. I wanted to mention the the Pixar animated short at the beginning of this movie. Oh, yeah, um, you yeah, know yeah. how they every mm-hmm. new release gets a new animated short. This one's called Bow, and uh, it's really great. Um, it's one of my favorites of all of them. There are twenty. There are multiple, there's like 34 total animated shorts made by Pixar, but 20 like official before the movie release uh, animated shorts. And this would probably be in my top five Mm -hmm. of, if we're ranking the animated shorts, we're not going to get into those weeds, but this one's really good. So make sure you get there in time for that. Um, It's a really heartfelt, touching mother-daughter, or I'm sorry, uh, mother-son story uh, featuring a dumpling. So uh, I don't want to give too much away, but... It's really good. Um, Sounds adorable. Real quick. Yeah, yeah. Some of my other, I wrote down actually some of my favorite Pixar animated shorts. It was on the level of Day and Night from Toy Story 3, Lava from Inside Out, uh, this one, uh, Presto from Wally, Lifted from Ratatouille, One Man Band from Cars. And the original that got everything started was Ten Toy, made in 1988 by John Lasseter. That was like the original Pixar animation that kind of got this whole thing started. So I uh, just wanted to make a quick mention of the animated shorts. Don't forget about those. Those are really cool and well done and sort of stand on their own in their own right and, you know, have their own place. So that's really cool. This movie... Highly recommend it for anyone that likes Pixar movies. Not quite as good as the original for me, but I've heard some people say they like it more. It's it's a little bolder and bigger. So if um, you know, it's it's highly enjoyable. Had a lot of fun with it. Do you have anything to say about it? I know you haven't seen it, so it's kind of uh, tough.
0: No, I I, I have uh, I have no thoughts. <laughs>
1: okay, okay, okay. Uh, just wanted to give you a chance there. So as I mentioned, this is the twentieth Pixar release. So it seemed appropriate that we do a Pixar top five, mm. our individual lists, real quickly. I'm gonna read off the all 20 titles in order f- of release, just quickly. So just to give you guys a little buffer and reminder of all the options we had to choose from: yeah. Toy Story, November 1995, and then A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, Monsters Inc., Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Cars, Ratatouille, Wall-E, Up. Toy Story 3, Cars 2, Brave, Monsters University, Inside Out, The Good Dinosaur, Finding Dory, Cars 3, Coco, and Incredibles 2. And then upcoming, we have Toy Story 4, which will be the 21st Pixar release that comes out June 21st, 2019. So we already have a date for that. And then they already have five untitled films by the end of 2022, Mapped out and with release dates, uh, we don't know the titles obviously, but they they have a tight schedule over there at Pixar and they're working hard. And uh, apparently, it takes like seven years to make some of these movies from start to finish. So yeah. uh, there's multiple projects in in you know production at once, and yeah, it's a really impressive catalog there. So we wanted mm-hmm. to go through our top five. Well, why don't you set up like your <coughs> relationship with Pixar and and its impact on your life?
0: Yeah, so uh, started with Toy Story, obviously. I mean, that's like a huge nostalgia imprint on my life. Um, right. You know, I, I haven't seen all 20 of those, I would say. There's a little bit, like, I haven't seen Coco yet, ridiculously. Okay. Um, I don't think I've seen any of the cars, for example. Yeah, I've only um, seen Cars One. Yeah. But they're always, I mean, just so creative. I mean, as I was just saying earlier, just love how they're able to match the appeal for both. Um, uh, adults and children uh totally. you know in yeah i mean i've always been a big fan of pixar i mean i don't think I, there's anyone on this planet who is not a fan of pixar movies i mean it <laughs> right seems right fairly impossible to have that opinion but um you know with these th- like it has been way too damn long since we've done a top five, Rob, I will say. I know, Um, I know. It's been since we did... Glad to do it again. I mean, we did all our rankings at the end of the year, but this is, I think, our first top five of the year, which I'm a little oh pissed off about it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> not no, at you i just i'm just I, i'm upset that we it's taken this long but yeah we'll, you know, pick we'll it up. say about our list we haven't discussed either our lists um with each other at all so yeah. there may be some overlap maybe all five are the same Probably but we not, had it but... we
1: wanted to have some like uh natural reactions yeah, yeah. and just see where our tastes overlap in this world and so it's yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: don't be shocked if you hear some of the same titles and um, I'm gonna go through my five, five to one, and then Rob's gonna go through his. Yeah. And uh, let me let me just kick things off here. So my number five is Ratatouille. Nice which uh, is Brad Bird directed, who also did you know, The Incredibles that you just talked about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Ratatouille is just I, I just, I mean, as most Pixar movies are, but just completely delightful. I really enjoy how food-focused it is. Um, He's the youngest chef ever to achieve a five-star rating. Chef Gusteau's cookbook, Anyone Can Cook, climbed to the top of the bestseller list. But not everyone celebrates its success. Amusing title, Anyone Can Cook. What's even more amusing is that Gusteau actually seems to believe it. I, on the other hand, take cooking seriously, and no, I don't think anyone can do it. the uh, The location in Paris, um, I think, really portrays the city beautifully through, mm-hmm. you know, that unique Pixar animation. There's just so much amazing detail in how they visualize the city. Uh, the kind of behind the scenes of of the kitchen again, just in great detail, and right. it's really just like as a story about like ambition and creativity and like craftsmanship, craftsmanship, and like I I feel like it just spoke to me a lot when I first saw it from just like you know just being like someone who just tries to be creative and inspires to do that, and yeah. still, it still still speaks to me today. I'm definitely not a chef, but it did um, suit me that way, and I, I to be honest, I have not seen it. In a while, but definitely as kind of going through the 20 that Pixar released, this one that jumped out to me, and then yeah. I wanted to put my list. So my number five is Ratatouille. My number four is A Bug's Life. Nice. I'm <laughs> so glad you put that in there. Here I go for the colony
1: and for oppressed ants everywhere.
0: I don't think you were expecting this one. No, um, no, I wasn't. I wasn't expecting but I, I love it earlier. Too. But I, you know, look, these are our personal top five. I am not totally. saying that a bug's life is you know more an achievement than like up or something. But sure, it's in my top five. It's number four. Um, and this was the second Pixar film released in 1998, three years after Toy Story. This really, more than anything, is just like pure nostalgia. Play. I, I loved it growing up. I remember it being like. One that I would rewatch a lot, yeah. And and really like when I was a kid, just having an impact on me and like really getting into the story. You know, I recall it being very like adventurous, super totally. entertaining. Yeah, there's great, great character, character development. Yeah, yeah, I love like how a lot of comedy, like miniaturized the life is, uh-huh. and like and you know in in this world of a bug, and you know sure. like being through you know in living in grass and dirt <laughs> right. and all that, and just like. It was just like this opening up this world that had never been visualized in that way. And yeah. I just remember being struck by it um, when I was a kid. Well, I did I'll... rewatch the... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say,
1: it, it's probably the most uh, pressure-packed of the Pixar releases. Because after 1995's Toy Story, like the, the pressure for that sophomore release, you know, their second movie, oh, yeah, yeah. they were like, man, we have to follow up this movie with a really good one. And it has to be different. And... I thought it was really successful, and now it's not considered, like, one of the best, but I totally agree that it's one of my, like, personal favorites. It did not make my top five. I'll I'll say that now, but it was (laughs) definitely in my, like, six to eight range for sure, and I love it.
0: Yeah. And I rewatched the trailer, and I will say, you know, some of that CGI isn't holding up great. Like, it's not, I mean, obviously, like, of its time, it was incredible, but there were just some portrayals of, like... You know the different creatures that I was like this. This doesn't look well, very good. I but will say anyway. I, I watched it last
1: year. I watched this and Ratatouille actually last year because I got a Blu-ray set of uh, a few of the Pixar movies and we rewatched them. Mm-hmm. I will say with modern televisions and like 4K and HDR technology and watching the Blu-rays, you really it's almost like watching these movies for the first time and you you see like. The amount of detail, I mean, you notice this in the movie theater also, but just rewatching them, you kind of just notice things all over for the first time after watching it, you know, a decade later. Um, it's just remarkable, like the, the level of detail and the shading, the coloring, the lighting, um, just all the little tiny details that go into it. And I feel like you're really watching it the way that they're meant to be watched and the way that they, like the animators created them, um, Mm -hmm. on these like perfect 4k televisions with like the high dynamic range technology. So yeah, I, if you haven't watched these movies in a while, I highly recommend, Get a Blu-ray copy of it um, and and check it out. It, it's it's pretty awesome.
0: <laughs> we will die on Blu-ray Island. Yes. I think we're like <laughs> the only ones. Get the Blu-ray. Get the Blu-ray. Right. Um, I I still I, I still like Blu-ray. So my number three is Wally. Wally. That, was that good was that a good uh, yeah? I, solid. I wasn't I wasn't planning to do that i just i just let it out it's natural man i've had i've had some wine and you know yeah so (laughs) it's flowing this is i think undoubtedly the most stanley kubrick influenced pixar movie of course i'm mainly referring to 2001 a space odyssey yeah and um particularly those opening what 30 minutes of Uh like without any spoken dialogue it's just these series of beautiful images like an exposition that's told throughout dialogue which is really impressive and music obviously takes place in the future you know you could definitely make the argument that this is the single most innovative of all pixar movies i might do Um, that later very ahead of its time oh yeah and it's um you know it portrays kind of this utopia slash dystopia and like you know definitely a commentary on society and like our habits and you know, the impact of technology on our lives. Um, I remember randomly, I saw this, a midnight screening of this. I don't really know why, like, I don't know. Just, it's like, I mean, Pixar is awesome, but like, it's not the first thing you yeah. think. Of, like, I want to see a midnight screening of it. But no, that's But I did cool. see a midnight screening on it I may Wall- have done e. that too. <laughs> yeah, 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 And uh, right. So That was the, our heyday of midnight screenings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, just like a really sophisticated, like, I feel like when this happened, um, when WALL-E came out, it was something new even for Pixar. Yeah. And was really just something that I, I remember, like, there was a lot of buzz when it, when it was first out, and especially with the way those first 30 minutes are handled. But, uh, yeah, Wally e is, is definitely, I would say, third in, in my, my personal top five. Nice. So getting down to my top two, number two, the OG Toy Story. This is an intergalactic emergency. I need to come into your vessel to sector twelve. Who's in charge here? The one that started it all, like legitimately a hilarious movie. Yeah. Um, at times, like like laugh out loud funny, bursting with creativity. I mean, just so many moments from the very first scene with like the toy um, soldiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know till the very last sequence there's just so much heart so many great characters you know whether it's the usual crew of woody and buzz and all like the toy family there or like sid the human character just like an amazing villain um, so iconic the the zeal. what's the name of like the, the three-eyed aliens again the claw, oh, the Ooh, claw. You know, yeah right i, right, right. I, forget I think they're exactly just called they're aliens called. i can't remember yeah they're awesome um a-list cast on the voiceovers and it's simply like a perfect film. I want to point out 80 minutes long. 80 minutes. It just wow. it just goes to show you like, you know, movies don't need to be over two hours in order right. for them to be uh, everything you want them to be. And I, I just, I can't remember seeing like any movie that at that length. I mean, that's like three episodes of The Office, you know, or something. Like <laughs> I it's know. Just, it's crazy how short it is. So that is my number two. And then my number one personal Pixar movie is Toy Story 3. Ooh.
1: Oh, it's gonna be okay, bullseye.
0: Woody's going to college with Andy. It's what he's always wanted. Ah, he's crazy. College is no place for a toy. Toys are for playtime.
1: Oh, speaking of playtime, they're
0: lining up out there. How many? There must be dozens. Ah, I can hardly wait. Places, everyone. Ah. So this is on my list. I would say the first reason is because it's the only Pixar movie that had me, like, consider mortality in the middle of <laughs> yeah. life and death. And gripping um, your seat. Yeah. Yeah. I know like so sequence. It tells uh, this great new story. You know, it's the third of a trilogy, but totally finds, like, a fresh new angle on where to take these characters. But in those last 20 minutes, in that, like, fiery incinerary, like, it transcends and it becomes a great, great... Incinerator. Yeah, incinerator. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it's, I would say going back to Blu-ray, the only Pixar movie I own on Blu-ray. Oh, nice. Is this the best third movie of a trilogy of all time? It could very well be. I was thinking, you like, could definitely make that other... argument. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the average Rotten Tomatoes score of all three of these Toy Stories is a hundred. I think <laughs> this is a hundred. Toy Story is a hundred. Toy yeah. Story 2 is, Nick gets knocked down a peg at 99. They're but well thought of. Really, um, those last 20 minutes, and I, it's kind of like, Leading up those last 20 minutes, it's like, I think it's every bit as good as Toy Story. And then those mm. last 20 minutes really transcend. They really pushed the banner. They could have just, you know, wrapped it up there and um, decided to make it, you know, like, oh, this is like a great, you know, ending of this trilogy. But they mm-hmm. decide, like, really, let's go for it. Let's let's do something different. And I just remember we really personally moved by that. And it's just amazing to see that in, like, an animated movie, even totally. if it's an appeals to adults. So that is my number one. So to recap five ratatouille then a bug's life wall-e toy story toy story three um rob i know you're i can feel your uh, <laughs> anticipation i'm ready across the country <laughs> yeah um let me hear your top five let me quickly change out my headphones though rob one second because my airpods are uh ironically dying hold on one second <laughs> huh So, yeah, let me get into
1: my top five. I will say I'm really glad you included uh, A Bug's Life and Toy Story 3 because, full disclosure, those did not make my list, but they were just outside, and I'm glad that you got a chance to mention those and talk about them. So my number five is Inside Out, Hmm. the 2015 film. Uh Uh-oh. She's looking at us. Uh, What did she say? What?
0: Oh, oh, uh, sorry,
1: sir. No one was listening. Is it garbage night? Uh, we left the toilet seat up. What?
0: What is it, woman? What? Uh, he's making that stupid face again. I could strangle him right now! Signal him again. Ah, so,
1: Riley, how was school?
0: You to be kidding me! For this, we gave up that Brazilian helicopter pilot?
1: I just love this movie. It's such an original concept. Um, Obviously, a ton of depth and emotional weight, as, of course, the movie is focused on human emotions and how they, you know, control your brain and how, uh, you know, they sort of steer your life experience. And I just thought it was a really cool concept. Um, Has a great cast with joy, sadness, fear, anger, disgust, and then bing bong. Um, You know, you have names like Amy Poehler, Bill Hader, Lewis Black, Mindy Kaling, uh, Richard Kind, and Diane Lane and Kyle MacLachlan play the mom and dad. So it's just like an A-plus cast. Uh, Phyllis from The Office, Phyllis Smith. um, She plays Sadness. But yeah, it's something that goes across all of these Pixar movies. Like, it's just who's who of, like, A-plus list celebrities and actors, uh, voice actors. So um, they get a usually have a really good cast and uh this movie i just really loved i i it, it lingers in your mind and it's uh, has some emotional weight to it with mm. the, the the bing bong death scene is pretty pretty tragic and you know i haven't yeah. really seen that before so that's my number five inside out number four yeah, i remember when i just oh, one thing about
0: inside out i remember yeah when i first heard the concept i was like wow yeah like just when you think like pixar couldn't like Come up with something entirely new. I know, like they do, and, and I was just like, man, this is gonna be awesome. And yeah, I, <laughs> I really like Inside Out as well. So shout
1: out to my brother who says every uh, every emotion ball he he gets is green or red, which is uh, disgust or anger. <laughs> He's like, Jeez. that's all I feel. <laughs> it's like, he leads a happy life. <laughs> right. Football, though, right? Yeah. I just it's <laughs> a it's a slight exaggeration, but it always <laughs> makes it makes for good comedy at the dinner table. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, right, right. he's, if he's like, feels something that he gets really upset about, he's like, red ball, red ball. <laughs> it's a good bit. Uh, all right. Anyway, that's my number five. Number four, I'm going to go with something you had at your number five, I believe is Ratatouille mm. or did, was that your number four or five? Uh,
0: that was my five.
1: Okay. So Ratatouille is my number four directed and written by Brad Bird. Um, this is like you said, an original great story about, you know, the food world, uh, Parisian cooking. Uh, cooking and, and rating, you know, reviews. The Anton Ego character in this movie is great. Um, it's just a side of, like, the chef food world that we don't talk about much is, like, food reviews, and it's a really funny character throughout. Um, and it's kind of like the villain, even though he's not, like, a bad guy necessarily. Um, Remy, played by Patton Oswalt, is the main rat, and Linguini, played by Lou, Lou Romano, um, some great character work there, um, working together at Gusto's restaurant in Paris. And the truth is, I have no talent at all. But this rat, he's the one behind these recipes. He's the cook. The real cook. He's been hiding under my toque. He's been controlling my actions. There's a great love story between Linguini and Colette, played by Janine Garofalo in this movie, Um, It just really stands out to me and it it feels like a classic Disney movie to me because it obviously features like the non-human main characters like a lot of these movies do. But I don't know, for some reason, it just feels like a little more of like a classic Disney release uh, more than any of these other Pixar movies. So I love it. Uh, Great rewatch. Yeah, that's Ratatouille, my number four. Number three is the Incredibles, the original, I'm going to go with the 2004 Brad Bird movie. Um, You know, we, I think it just for the reasons of like, it's the original and you're introduced to all these characters and just, it blew my mind when it came out and it just opened up the possibility of these action sequences and animation, which hadn't really ever been done before and maybe haven't been matched uh, until Incredibles Mm two, just in, in the sense of like these, weighty like grand action sequences that are really tough to pull off i I imagine um bob and helen parr play mr incredible and elastic girl or that's their their real names and superhero names craig t nelson and holly hunter um dash violet and jack jack are the kids and they all have powers and really cool interesting family dynamics there and these movies are like really about the family and and the villain like superhero side of it is kind of the secondary aspect of the story so i love that part of it in the first one uh frozone played by samuel l jackson syndrome played by jason lee is the is the bad guy in this movie um so yeah they just pulled everything off i love syndrome as the main villain
0: the baby's sleeping (laughs) (laughs) You took away my future. I'm simply returning the favor. Oh, don't worry. I'll be a good mentor, supportive, encouraging everything you weren't. And in time, who knows? He might make a good sidekick.
1: So The Incredibles is my number three. Toy Story was your number two. It is also my number two. Mm. Um, I, I was considering Toy Story three, like also in my top five, but... Um, I think I had to go, like you said, the OG Toy Story 1995, John Lasseter. Um, it's just so iconic. Um, it obviously, like, started this whole phenomenon and has become one of the most iconic Disney character groups of all time, I would say. Like, mm-hmm. it's up there with, like, Daffy Duck and Donald Duck. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, it absolutely. is It is Daffy Duck, I, I guess, not uh, Goofy is what I meant. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, right. Pluto and... Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse like sure yeah, uh, yeah. I would I would argue that like Woody and Buzz and Slink are right there with those it's characters of
0: our time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
1: Like Don Rickles playing Mr. Potato Head is like mm. it's just awesome and
0: Yeah, 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 whatever.
1: So Toy Story like obviously the iconic score done by Randy Newman, he did the first four Pixar movies by the way. And basically 18 out of 20 of these Pixar movies have been scored by just three guys, uh, Randy Newman, Thomas Newman, their cousins, not brothers. And then Michael Giacchino or Ghiaccino, uh, did a bunch of the movies. So yeah, the scores are, you know, can't be can't be like lost in all of this. Like they drive the movies, especially in animated movies, like they're a very important aspect, and just wanted to mention it's mostly just these three people that have been doing it. Um, okay, getting to my number one, I might linger a little bit on this one. It is Wally. I'm going with uh, your number three. The way you said
0: Wally was like you're about to like cry or something. <laughs> Wally,
1: I love Wally. Um, it's written and directed by Andrew Stanton. Uh, 2008 movie. The jewel of the BNL fleet. The Axiom. Spend your five-year cruise in style, waited on 24 hours a day by our fully automated crew, while your captain and autopilot chart a course for non-stop entertainment, fine dining, and with our all-access hover chairs, even grandma can join the fun. There's no need to walk. The Axiom. Putting the star in Executive Starliner. It's just really magical. Um, I think it kind of... It, it's Pixar at its absolute best because of just the way it looks like space is perfect for computer animation. Mm-hmm. And especially now with like modern TVs, as I mentioned and HDR technology, like the deep, deep blacks and vibrant colors just looks amazing on the Blu-rays nowadays. It's just awesome to watch. And like you said, the 30 first 30 minutes is about as good as anything you'll see like period. Um, it's just amazing filmmaking. Uh, it starts out with like this Hello Dolly song playing over the intro to the planet. And then we meet Wally and learn about his, you know, lonely existence on Earth, packing these cubes of waste and building skyscrapers to dig out humanity and save Earth, basically is like the concept. These these robot uh, bots, machines are, are trying to dig out all the trash from Earth and create like a a habitable, uh, sustainable existence for the planet again. Uh, as we learn that, you know, humanity has basically fallen by the wayside and gone off into space. Um, it has a little like dark element to it in that way that it's, uh, it's probably like the most ominous and challenging concept that Pixar has ever gone after. And, you know, for that way, (laughs) in that way, I love it. Um, the BNL Starliners and the Axiom ship that they all like go to later is is really cool and obviously like the main part of this movie is the love story between Wally and Eve um you mentioned the the 2001 a space odyssey HAL character homage that's awesome you know cool to see that uh <laughs> another favorite feature is like the all access hover chairs uh with mm. the low low bone density humans that are just like fed everything into their mouth and you know there's a screen in front of them at all times and back in the day i was like oh it's so far from reality or whatever but there's like some subtle undertones of like what's happening to our society and like culture in general so it's pretty deep stuff and like cool that pixar went that direction and like tried to you know, do some social commentary on the way things are going. Um, getting back to the Eve side of things, like the way, I don't know if you remember the scene where they meet for the first time and they like tell each other their names and it's like...
0: Wally. 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 Eve. 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 Eve.
1: yeah it's it's just awesome uh it's so charming and like you kind of fall in love with both of them and you're rooting for their relationship to work and it's just awesome storytelling and like classic in a classic way um i love the scene where we first meet or we first see uh wally show eve his apartment his like little collection of trash or like little (laughs) things that he found worth keeping and it's kind of hit home with like little trinkets and collections of things i i must say i'm a bit of a collector in that way and i can relate um and he's just trying to like impress her with his random collection of stuff and he shows her you know a scene from hello dolly uh so yeah it's just really like charming classical love stuff and yeah the last thing i'll say i guess is the uh the Mo character who's like whoa 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 whoa, <laughs> you know on the on the Axiom ship. I love yeah, that yeah. guy. He's a great little <laughs> side character. Um, so yeah, I love love Wally. I think it's like the pinnacle of what Pixar can be, and for me has not been matched to date. And yeah, it's my number one.
0: Nice. So we each wanted to now recommend a true crime Ooh. documentary series on netflix that yeah. was released uh, fairly recently that was fun i, I gotta, co- I gotta one... come down from that pixar a little bit <laughs> right yeah, yeah, yeah. jacked you're, up you're, um, yeah, right, right. Uh, what i'm about to recommend you haven't seen a single episode of and then vice versa what you're going to recommend i haven't seen any of but so what i want to tell our listeners to check out is this series called the staircase and i'm um, You mentioned you know quite a few people that have been watching it. I do not really heard much buzz both like personally and even like in the media about it. But this is a true crime documentary series about a murder that occurs in 2001 where this novelist by the name of Michael Peterson uh, basically called in to report that his wife Kathleen had fallen down a set of stairs and died. Hmm. Now, yeah, you would kind of think that's a little fishy like – How'd your wife that she fell downstairs? Like, doesn't that sound like you would something you would say if you wanted to cover something up? I don't no, know. No, it's like but, Fight
1: Club fell down some stairs.
0: Right, right. So the authorities didn't really buy that, and they had instead um, thinks that he basically beat her to death with some kind of blunt instrument. And mm. given how gruesome the scene looked, and kind of these lacerations on her head, like, it's something that you could. Could believe in, but at the same time, I mean, there's like a big argument to make that, like you know, in a variety of ways, like what happened is what this guy Michael Peterson had said. So this was originally a French miniseries back in 2004. It then aired as like a two-hour presentation on an American news show at the time called Primetime Thursday, then on BBC Four. So it, it it existed like over 10 years ago, but Netflix mm. picked it up again. You know, given the content machines that they are. <laughs> right. And, and added, people's
1: fascination with true crime stories Yeah, and like,
0: you know, the success of Making a murder and The Keepers uh-huh. on Netflix and things like that. And they revived it, added three additional episodes, and then uh, released it. So it's a total of 13 episodes, which is pretty weighty. Um, yeah. The first episode, I would say, is absolutely riveting. Hmm. The rest kind of ebbs and flows. Like, you know, I, it spends a lot of time in the courtroom. Like, you know, they're just... I think they could have maybe reduced a few of those episodes. It gets okay. at episode eight, they like give the verdict, which is very riveting. Um, but it's uh you know, it was a local news sensation at the time, this story. It never really broke national news, but it's it's just a really strange case and the documentary filmmakers, they just get amazing access. It's completely behind the scenes of building the case. I mean, they're with the guy who's convicted you know, or not convicted, but um, i forget being investigated yeah yeah, being yeah investigated Uh and um he you know his kind of attitude throughout it is fascinating he's kind of like this oily looking old dude who is like likable but you also i mean i don't know what happens as like this first episodes unfold like you learn a lot about his past and all these new things come to light and It's really um I don't know I'm usually like a sucker for like a good like courtroom like yeah. documentary you know and um they really interview like this extended family and um yeah I would really recommend it if you're if you're into like the serial podcast or making a murderer um the first episode is like will really draw you in and like you you'll you'll be hooked and it's like a really good like rainy day watch I would say as well like you nice. can kind of bang it out um you know you don't have to be like 100% into every minute um like i said right. some of the episodes are a little slow but uh you can definitely, do some chores <laughs> yeah like definitely watch until the verdict which is episode eight because i think the payoff is is really good so um yeah just want to recommend that you guys check out the staircase i think if you're into true crime it's something you'll you'll be into
1: nice yeah i haven't seen any yet but i'm planning on watching some i've heard some people loving it so yeah i'll definitely check it out Um, so I wanted to mention another Netflix true crime story, uh, and that is evil genius, the true story of America's most diabolical bank heist Mm. diabolical. Um, so this is a four part true crime documentary series on Netflix. Uh, it's basically three and a half hours long total. So if you wanted to, you could knock it out in one night, but I found that I split it up into four nights because it's, it's pretty like haunting and scary at times for a true crime story. Like some of the
0: crime is usually pretty, pretty haunting.
1: Yeah. Because it's like all real, you know, it's a documentary (laughs) and it's like, man, these people are just like sick, you know, it's almost scarier than horror movies at times, just because it's, it's reality. And you Mm -hmm. know, it's like how, how far people can go in a certain direction. So yeah, I just found it easier to consume over the course of four nights. Um, And uh, it's it's the story of the pizza bomber, or the, the collar bomb, that was uh, done in 2003 in Erie, Pennsylvania. It's all a true story. Uh, the murder of Brian Wells. Um, it's basically the mystery behind that story. Um, and it, it was... Eventually given a, a special task force uh, from the FBI, like it had its own unit and, you know, investigators from the state and local police departments, um, you know, worked on it for years. And uh, they interview all of those like main characters from those uh, different agencies and, you know, we get some lawyers discussing things and like news people that covered the story chime in with their opinions and like their perspective on the story um but yeah basically Marjorie Deal Armstrong is the main character I guess you would say in this in this story and she she's a really scary person I would say <laughs> like she has she's like this genius level hence the name evil genius uh genius level sort of like maniacal personality and like really influences people and like can control uh, the various men throughout her life uh, or um her life and and just her story arc i guess you call it it's just her life arc but yeah um there's like these characters bill rothstein and kenneth barnes and we we learn about how this was done and who was involved and what exactly took place. There's like a scavenger hunt involved in this story. Uh, you know, the the bomb that actually goes off around the guy's neck. It's not really a spoiler because it's like the first scene of the first episode, but um, it's been described as one of the most complicated and bizarre crimes in the annals of the FBI. So it's obviously like this really weird story that just took a lot of weird turns. Um, I will mention this this uh, documentary series is produced by the Duplass Brothers Productions, and they also did Wild Wild Country, which is on Netflix right now. Uh, they made Room 104 on HBO, which we talked about, I think, last year on this podcast. And they've just been doing some really good work um, with, like, miniseries and documentary series. And um, it's not necessarily them. Like, they, they kind of just have the the foundation and the platform to release these things and distribute them and, you know, get them on Netflix and stuff. So it's cool that they're, they're finding and digging out these little stories and uh, allowing them to be seen by a bigger audience. Um, So I just wanted to shout out the Duplass brothers productions. Um, So yeah, I I highly recommend this. If you like the staircase and you haven't watched this, um, this came out, uh, I think before the staircase on Netflix, Mm I think it was in like May, but yeah, really good story. Uh, pretty
0: scary at times and just cool to watch so two more topics before we wrap up and I mentioned this in the beginning and maybe our listeners are thinking like what when I said Mm -hmm. this but we Mm -hmm. wanted to hit on some sports a little bit and Rob I know this is a topic that's been percolating in your mind yeah I guess in my entire life (laughs) what what are we gonna do here
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I pitched this concept to you as like a recurring segment that we could do just every now and then when there's like a major sports uh, television experience to talk about. Like we don't want to get into the nitty gritty about like trades and the NBA (laughs) draft is coming up, you know, like those types of things and player names and things like that. We want to just talk about like our experience of consuming sports on television. So the the segment is going to be called Hashtag Sports. And it's because, you know, I work with people that love sports and talk about sports all day. And I find that I am on maybe even a, a, a like a further level than some of those people. Like, I just watch everything involved with sports. Uh, so I just have been yeah. saying to some of my coworkers lately, like, hashtag sports. Like, it's just hashtag sports, man. Like, I just can't get away from yeah. it. I want to watch all of it. Um, you so that's and I, the like, concept.
0: we could We could have done a sports podcast. Like, we have as much knowledge and kind of, like, passion for sports as we do. I mean, you know, Ebbs & flows. like, I I mean, I'm more passionate about, like, music and film than sport, but it is, like, in the same ballpark. And, like, I grew up playing and watching sports. You did the same. In college, we spent a (laughs) lot of our time watching just games and talking about them and, you know, all that. And we decided to do a pop culture podcast, which we have no regrets on, but I think it's... um. You know, sports like I think, as someone I recently said, and I thought it was very poignant. It's like they're the most unimportant important thing in the world in a way. Yeah, totally. Like sums up. It's like in a weird way. So emotionally invested. Yeah, I feel like in a weird way, it's. I believe it's part of, like, the full life of experience to be, like, irrationally (laughs) and emotionally attached to just, like, at least one sports team. It's, like, healthy in some way. Get through the highs and lows. Yeah. Sports are obviously, like. It teaches you life lessons. Yeah, the center of culture, the live element of consuming them is something that we can't experience when we're you know as much as we love film you know are you like that that's something that's not the reality of experiencing yeah. film like it's, it's, it's like the only
1: lineup. like water cooler thing left besides you know like Game of Thrones <laughs> you know right it's like, right or there really isn't much it's like did you see that NBA you have finals to experience game last as night. it's
0: unfolding yeah the DVR in yeah. the age of Twitter and the internet yeah like you gotta you gotta be watching these things live but um I can get pretty much behind any major sporting event too I mean yeah there's certain sports that I like you know like basketball for example that I'm I'm you know much more into than you know regular season in hockey but if it's uh-huh. a major sporting event like i can get into it and enjoy enjoy myself totally
1: me too and i do uh i i watched a ton of uh winter olympics i wish we had maybe started this segment with the winter olympics because i would have loved to talk about consuming that this past uh winter um but yeah with the world cup going on right now i know i'm consuming a lot of that i don't know about if you are but it, it most of them are taking place in the morning hours out on the Pacific time zone, um, so I'm able to watch a lot of those. I work mostly at night, so that's been cool. But we wanted to start this segment #hashtag sports the first one ever talking about the Capitals winning the Stanley Cup and just how you consume that. What was your experience like? Uh, you know, what where were you for the last the fifth and final game when they won the Stanley Cup and Ovi hoisted it and Backstrom and Tears were flowing in DC, and beers were flowing like wine. Neither
0: of us were there, unfortunately, in DC. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely like the most I probably ever felt in my life. Of like, I wish I was. I mean, I love DC and growing up there, but like, uh, I really did get quite a bit of FOMO. Oh yeah, me too. Man. And <laughs> me I, too. my game five, my game five story is quite sad. Like, I watched it in my apartment. I think by myself. Like, I okay. was gonna go out with some of my friends from the DC area. It was a the Thursday time didn't night. Work out. I was definitely going to watch it. I knew I wanted to watch it in, like, a focused yeah. atmosphere. Like, sometimes at a bar, it can be a bit of a wild card in that sense. Sure. But um, I was into it. I mean, yeah, I'm not... Obviously, was rooting for the Caps. I'm not going to sit here and say that I am an emotionally invested uh caps <laughs> fan, year in and year out been like sure. live and die like i am and thank god because of the amount of heartbreak they've experienced over the years a lot i am i am glad but i totally got on the bandwagon was rooting for them every step of the way as Watched you should every game yeah. of the stanley cup watch most most i would say like 80 to 90 percent of the games leading up to the stanley cup nice and it was yeah it was exciting i had a lot of interesting observations on hockey as someone who doesn't watch it all the time um yeah but it was you know huge for our city like what it had been 27 years since the last championship yeah and especially with the caps i mean god like they've yeah. been through so so much hard it's hard oh, to yeah. even like articulate how they've like died a thousand deaths and the oh, fans yeah. have died them with them and, and, and it's right. just well they've you know, been the, these... like arguably
1: one of the best teams and not even arguably they've been one of the best teams in hockey for a decade and they could have mm-hmm. won five or six cups already yeah. or they couldn't even know, make it to at least the third one. round let right. alone the stanley right. cup you know but yeah, yeah so this Ovechkin. was the first time they even made it to the eastern conference final right and then right they, they get onto the final and win it yeah so was awesome. but you know they
0: it feels like a s to put my hockey hat on i mean like they were able to really impose their will yeah and um you know for the first time be like no we're winning this and i think winning and they came that, together as a team a, that second a full round. unit. Uh huh. That second round series um, against Pittsburgh—such a huge weight off their shoulders. Oh yeah. I can imagine, and then after that, they're like, "This is our time. It's their destiny." Yeah. Ovechkin, Backstrom—like these guys that have been with the team forever. Like uh-huh. they were so deserving of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was. It was. It was awesome. Like I. I definitely. It's like, I don't know, like, you know, a lot of these Stanley Cup games were in the middle of the week. I wasn't going to like spontaneously like take off work to go to DC, you know, right? Maybe if it was like the Nationals and they were in the World Series, you know, that would have mm-hmm. been a different story. I'm a bit more into that team on the DC side, but it was still, it was still awesome. And I'm really happy for all our friends back home that are Caps fans and seeing, you know, I know my brother was down there. A lot of our mutual friends were right in the thick of it. Um, during you know those games and the sea of red in dc and just the oh, yeah. chance and it seemed like very good natured too like we're not philly yeah. we're not gonna like burn the <laughs> right to the ground yeah there stuff. was we not like a
1: single arrest apparently that whole mm. parade day and the celebrations the sea of red on the national mall was just mm. amazing if you see the per, uh the picture of the perspective of the players on that stage uh, like right in front of the capitol building and you see like that massive sea of red it's just remarkable like I mean, there's estimated numbers of like half a million people in D.C. for the parade that day. So the celebration has been or was, I guess it's over now, uh, just almost as fun as watching the game itself. But I want to quickly tell my story. I'll keep it real tight about watching them win. And I'm a huge Caps fan. I have been. You know, since they drafted Ovechkin, like I remember they made the Stanley Cup finals in 1998. Uh, I was, you know, 10 years old or so, and I I kind of remember watching that series with my dad and uncles and brother, but they got swept by Detroit that year, 4-0, and that was the only time they've made it past the second round. Um, so this time obviously like conscious sports fan, you know, since Ovechkin was drafted, I've been a massive Capitals fan and they've been great for so long, multiple presidents, trophies, etc. And so f- for the fifth game, I was flying to Boston that day. Um, I was going for a wedding that weekend and I was supposed to be landing in Boston at like 8.30 PM Eastern. And the game was um, starting at eight uh, or like 8.20 after all the, you know, Fireworks in uh, flaming arrows at uh the whatever oh arena. God, that's a whole. Vegas. I can do a whole podcast <laughs> yeah. on how the Game of Thrones I episode by... ended. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. annoying. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I was supposed to land at eight thirty, but I got a little layover experience. I had to deboard in indie I was supposed to be there for like thirty minutes. So we ended up being there for two and a half hours. um So I watched the first two periods of the game in the airport, at a bar, got myself a little pizza, consumed three or four beers, and made some friends at the bar. Like, I was clearly rooting for the Capitals. They had a chance to win it that night. So it was fun. And then we had to get on the plane and go to Boston. And I had to, like, the luckily, modern media, you know, in this state of, like, Wi-Fi on planes, I was able to quickly pull it up on my iPad and watch the third period live. Oh, you
0: are able to stream video in the air? Yes.
1: Live oh, wow. TV. I watched the third period. I watched the Capitals and DC Sports like win their first championship in 27 years on a plane, basically, you know, by myself on an um, iPad. On an iPad, I was audibly cheering and like everyone around me knew what was going on. I was like, I was not hiding it. I was a little intoxicated by that point. <laughs> um, the, I, I got out like one of my Southwest uh, drink voucher cards. And since we had the delay, she was like, oh, we're not accepting those like drinks are free tonight. So she brought me a beer. And then after they won, I was like really getting into it. And she brought me two more. (laughs) Doing the Caps cheer on the flight. Like, everybody with me. I mean, it was a show, dude. Like, I was probably creating a scene. But uh, (laughs) she brought me two more beers for free. So by the time I landed in Boston, they had won. I watched Ovi and Backstrom and everyone. nine beers deep. Yeah, they all skated the cup. I was probably seven or eight beers deep. I was like floating through the Boston airport, like with my arms up. I felt like I had done something, you know, like right, it right. was just this, that, like sports
0: has that kind of effect.
1: Yeah, know? exactly. It was a magical experience, like not exactly how I pictured, you know, celebrating and watching the first championship basically of my conscious lifetime, but I'll take it. And I feel like it's burned into my memory forever and I actually considered flying, changing my flight out of Boston to D.C. so I could go to the parade that day. But it was like a logistical nightmare. And I had work and I, I would have had to, like, find subs and all this stuff. So I just decided not to do it. But I was sad, like you said, FOMO, like, to miss that first parade in D.C. But, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. No, it's a, it's a unique That's a very unique way to experience uh, D.C.'s first championship in in quite some time. I I will—one last thing on this with the Caps Stanley Cup. Uh, Ovechkin and the crew, That Saturday after they won it. They went to the the Nationals game and proceeded that day. I want to say— Oh, man. They went on a bender. I would put that up with any bender of sports celebrations. Like, I don't know— People listening, I'm sure you know people from back home listen to this podcast. I'm like you know what I'm talking about. They went. They proceeded to. I mean, I we've been going long on this podcast. Like I, I don't want to get it. But, like it's all good. Dan Steinberg, who I follow on Twitter, yeah. like what did did God's work and just retweeted every single video bit. They went to the Nats game. They proceeded to go into like after that with the Stanley Cup in their like <laughs> hands. Like yeah. Like just went. All the over the city, into in the Georgetown, Georgetown. fountain, yeah. <laughs> showing up as clubs, was like swimming at on the cafes. concrete, yeah. Oh, it like you know, singing We Are the Champions, shotgunning yeah. beers, like the jersey, like every it was just complete, joyful debauchery. It was like, like quad fest it, at the oh, Nats yeah. Game. <laughs> I mean, yeah, times 500,000. I mean, it yeah. was just like and just it was so cool how they were able to share that. There was clearly they they knew how much it meant to the fans and they, yeah. they were really sharing it with the joy with them. So. Totally. We're not going to be fucking sunk this year! We're the Stanley Cup champions!
1: Yeah! it's just a that's a great aspect of sports how it brings a city together like yeah there's no yeah, yeah. There, no like race or creed that d- didn't get into it and you know enjoyed themselves and had a good time with it and yeah uh just awesome to see and i'm i'm happy for
0: all my fellow
1: dc sports fans finally
0: so our last thing we want to quickly hit on is i believe our first what tech product recommendation yeah. of the podcast yeah um i think so we wanted to just quickly, I don't know, for whatever reason, talk about how much we love these Apple AirPods. Yeah, which for you whatever reason, but come on, no, no, you know I why. mean there are reasons, <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna list them. Yeah. Um So your your girlfriend Natalie actually messaged me like a week before she was gonna get these for me, and was yeah. like, you know, should I, uh, you know, would Rob recommend them? Like, I uh-huh. would you recommend them to Rob? And I. I answered yes quicker than I like blinked. I was like yes. <laughs> like it yeah. was like immediate like it was just I knew that you would love them. I had gotten them like a month prior. Uh-huh. Everyone kinda knows what we're talking you know, these Apple AirPods that are yeah, you know the wireless, wireless two piece, yeah. Bluetooth connected. Um they have the you little know, charging
1: it's... case that they yeah, snap man. into.
0: Ooh, that's just oh man, a The way
1: the way the, the the case like snaps shut and the way the the magnetism of the AirPod like sucks it into the little charging port and then you close it. It's ah. like, oh, it's man. great. I just man, love man. it.
0: I'm getting just hot. <laughs> <I'm> just thinking. <laughs> Settle about down. Them. Settle down. So I the first the first time I saw people wearing these like on the New York subway, and my first impression was like, these could look lame. You're kind of like trying too hard. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, hey, I'm from the future. I'm. I know. I thought the same thing. <laughs> but it's just funny with these things like they became very ubiquitous, yeah. especially here. I mean, you see like, them a lot. Oh mindset, yeah, LA too. My, yeah, sure. Like places like LA, like my mindset just switched of like, these look cool now. Like do you right. see <laughs> enough people wear them that like look like they're, you know? So I was like, yeah, I'm into them now. So yeah. I I bought it. I mean, they're not cheap. They're no. what, 170 bucks, but yeah. I would say um, they the product design is amazing. And I they're not noise canceling, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend them for like, Diving into an album that you really want to hear every single intricacy of like how that album was made, but for sure. all other audio, podcast, video, phone calls, like mm-hmm. just ideal. Just an yeah, ideal. Yeah, they have a great product. microphone. Great microphone yeah, for yeah. phone
1: calls. Better than the wired headphones, and they they do sound. You say they they don't noise cancel, but they they are a much higher quality. I would say than the free wired headphones that Apple gives you when you buy like a phone or an iPad. Um, they're definitely a step up in quality from that. And just the the convenience factor, like they easily connect Bluetooth, uh, you know, to your phone or iPad or computer. Or I think even Apple TV. I haven't done that yet, but. Um, one of my favorite aspects of them is connecting them to my iPad and then having my iPad like on the kitchen table and I'm doing dishes or something and I can, mm. you know, continue to Dude, listen. Dishes
0: have never been more fun. Uh,
1: I know. Like <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll slap a World Cup game on and I'm listening I look and forward.
0: I'm like yeah I look forward to like doing my laundry now because of AirPods. yeah
1: so i mean we're obviously huge podcast people we are doing a podcast right now i consume yeah. podcasts daily i know you do too oh, yeah um yeah. so like they're great for that they're great for your commute they're great for i walk around outside a lot at work and you know i can just slap them in they're a little more discreet than the
0: wired headphones you can mm. kind of just like, Exercise, put them in and like out. if you're running that's when i'll listen to yeah. the music actually like if you're you know yeah you're or like bike riding, or right, you know, just like the hands-free aspect. They just right. pop in your ears, and they're and just you take they're one sp- out and it pauses. Automatically. They weigh like half an ounce. Like you yeah, know, like just they're so light. lightweight. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of remarkable.
1: Um, I thought I was worried that they would fall out of my ears, and that's actually not. No. That's actually why I hadn't bought them already for myself. I was just worried about that, but the technology they did like all this research on on the 30 different v- types of ears and like ear holes and lobes and stuff and you know of course apple put in the time and like research and science into it and they fit you know they you know it's like one size fits all and they basically do so it's pretty remarkable and yeah getting back to like the the my first experience with them and Natalie bought them for our 3 year anniversary which is coming up and we both got a pair of them and she wanted to give them to me before that Boston trip so I could use them on the trip. And I, I texted her. She had gone a day earlier than I did. And I texted her when I was walking through the L.A. airport that morning. I, I was like, I feel like a better person wearing these. <laughs> it was like, obviously joking, but it was like, I'm in love with these
0: I'm already <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, so this segment has been brought to you by Apple uh, Apple your, AirPods
1: on sale right. at your local Apple store for 169.
0: But, uh, <laughs> if you're looking for a new pair of headphones and like cause really like my only caveat is like they're not noise canceling but other right. than that it's it's really like they're the awesome. optimal headphone experience yeah. besides the noise canceling factor. So yeah. recommend AirPods and I think That said, that's going to do it for this episode of Must Go Faster. Thanks so much to everyone for listening, as always. Reminder to subscribe, rate, review us, spread the word, share it with anyone who's into all of these things that we've discussed about on this pod in the past. Um, Really appreciate you guys spreading the word, and um, we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening.
1: MustGoFasterPod.com for all previous episodes. Share with your friends and family. We appreciate it and uh, talk to you next time. Peace, Ben.